0: Well, I appreciate the ministry here. I am very honored today to be able to speak here in chapel and very humbled. The West Coast Baptist College and Lancaster Baptist Church has meant a lot to my, my ministry and to the church there at Friendship. We, uh, we appreciate a college that we can send our young people to from our school, a college that stands for the old-time faith, the old-time ways, that still honors the, the old-time faith. We appreciate the friendship of Brother Chapel, Brother Getch, and Brother Rasmussen, and all the things that, that this school stands for. I don't like to uh, use myself as an illustration often, but there's some things that have happened over the last couple of years that I'd like to use, some lessons that I've learned, that I'd like to share with you t- today. I've been in the ministry for 38 years I was called to preach when I was 15 years old. I, the first church that I, I served at, the pastor gave me opportunity to preach in chapel. In the chapels, uh, I preached three chapels every week, preached to the uh, junior hires every week, four or five times I preached. And by Friday, my voice was usually shot. Whenever there was a special topic that needed to be preached on, or a special uh, activity that was going on at the church, the pastor in my first church that I served at asked me to preach. I was allowed to preach, and I love preaching. In fact, my wife bought me a a license plate holder for my car that says, I'd rather be preaching. Some people had, I'd rather be sailing, I'd rather be fishing, I'd rather be doing something else. I had, I'd rather be preaching. I just love preaching. The second church I served at, the pastor did a lot of traveling. And he traveled for, uh, many, many different times and he would be gone on, on preaching times. And I was allowed to fill in the pulpit for him. And I loved being able to fill in the pulpit and, and being counted on to be able to preach, preach the gospel. And then I was called to the ministry at Friendship 20 years ago. And for 20 years, I've been pastoring the church. And let me just stop for a minute. And, and Brother Rasmussen said, I could do this. I'm getting a head start on the interview days. We're looking for five teachers in our elementary school. And uh, if you'd like to help us reach those people in Hawaii, uh, we've got a, gr- a great ministry, and a great way to re- reach those uh, people in Hawaii. And so we'd love to have you come and join us. And come talk to us sometime in the next couple of days, and we'll talk about the ministry there and, at Friendship. But as I was preaching, I'd preach, we had a small little building and we had to go to two services. So I was, ended up preaching four times on Sunday morning. Then the Lord laid it on our hearts to build a new auditorium. We bought land and we built an auditorium. And the auditorium was built for preaching. It wasn't built for music, it wasn't built for uh, the school, it was built for preaching. And we went back to one service a, a week And I started preaching twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday night. And I loved loved the preaching. I enjoyed preaching. In fact, one of my deacons left and and went to California. And he became a a deacon in the the new church that he was at. And they were looking for a new pastor. And he called me and said, we're having a hard time finding pastor for our church. We've got a lot of guys that come in that can teach. But we can't get anyone to preach. And he said, Would you come and candidate for our church? I said, I've already got a church. But I appreciated the fact that he was he knew that I was a preacher. Then about two years ago, after we were in the new auditorium, I started noticing some things happening while I was preaching. Some things that were going on in my my preaching. I had a hard time concentrating. Had a hard time thinking about what was going on. There was a tremor in my hands. I would sit up on the platform, and my hand would tremor. And I thought everybody was looking at me. My, my wife would sit in, in the auditorium, and she said she never noticed it. But to me, I, could, I just felt like everybody could notice the tremor in my hand. And when I would preach, I would have long pauses, have what we, we call brain freezes. Couldn't think of what the word, the word I wanted to say. And I got to where I started dreading preaching the joy of the preaching was taken away from me. I went to the doctor, and the doctor said I had Parkinson's. And it was very difficult for me to get up and preach. And I didn't understand why God would take that joy, that love for preaching away from me. But I feel like over the last couple of years, God has taught me some things, some lessons on why God takes things away. Over the last year, we've had some things taken away from us with the COVID restrictions and the COVID things that are going on. All of us have faced things that that we can't understand. Why would God take this away? We often think of God giving us and the things that God blesses us with and God gives to us. But there are times in our lives where God takes things away from us. And I want to give you these lessons today on why God takes things away. I'm not going to give you all the things that could possibly be why God took something away from you. But I'm going to give you three lessons today on why God takes things away from you. If you would take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. I don't know if it's your custom, but it's our custom at our church to stand when we read the scriptures. So if you would stand with me. Second Corinthians chapter number three. Verse number one. Do we begin to commend ourselves or need we as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you're manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ ministered to us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, and in tables of stones, but in fleshly stones of the heart, and such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit, For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But the administration of death, written and engraved in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. For the glory of his countenance, which was glory, was done away. How shall not the administration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the administration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the administration of righteousness exceed glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which was done away was glorious, much more that which was, remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of, of that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veileth done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses was read, the veil is upon the, on their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an open face, beholding in as, as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as in the Spirit of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I come to you. I want to thank you for the reading of your word. And I want to thank you for the times that you give us things, opportunities like this to preach in chapel. But Lord, I want to also thank you for the times that you take things away. Open our eyes that may we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Second Corinthians chapter number three, there was a group of people in the church at Corinth that were Judaizers. They wanted the Old Testament. And Paul was writing to them and telling them that some of the things, the things of the Old Testament were taken away. And he's telling them why they were taken away. They, asked, they were asking the question, why would God take something that was good away? The Old Testament law taught us right from wrong. It, it, it gave us the instructions of what, what, what the mind of God is on what, what is right and wrong. So why would God take that away? Paul tells us in other scriptures that the the law was given to us as a school teacher to teach us that we need Christ. One of these days, the seniors in this room are going to graduate. And you're not going to need your teachers anymore. The things that they taught you, you still need. Amen? But the, the teacher and the discipline that the teacher has will be out of your life. Now you'll be relying upon the grace of God and on on obedience to him, the discipline in your life. So that that good thing, the law, was taken away because we no longer need the law. The law was given to teach us the fact that we needed Christ. And so that good thing was taken away. They also said the Old Testament, the Old Testament law was given to us, and it was glorious. When the law was given to Moses, it was a glorious event. There's a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. There was fire on the mountain. There was thunderings. There was trumpet sounds. There was God's handwriting in stone. What a glorious occasion that was when the Old Testament and the Old Testament law was given to us. There was much glory in that Old Testament. And so why would God take that glory away? And and let me just say something. Our flesh tends towards outward religion we like that outward religion that show of religion and so why would they want to take that away the new testament doesn't look as glorious we look at a manger scene look at a poor man that that comes god coming in flesh it doesn't look very spectacular you look at a cross the death the bleeding the suffering it doesn't look very glorious until the resurrection. And the glory of the Old Testament was great, but the glory of the New Testament was greater. And so we don't need the glory, that, we don't need that out, outward showing of glory because we have the glory inside. Then we talk about the Old Testament was given to us in shadows. There's so many things that pictured the, the Lord to us. They had the tabernacle. The tabernacle pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about it the showbread, the light, the, the water of oblation, the holy place, the priesthood, the sacrifices. All these things were great, but they're taken away from us now. We don't sacrifice anymore. We don't have a tabernacle anymore. Why? Because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, I have a picture of my wife in my Bible here. But whenever I have my wife, I don't look at the picture. And when you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't need to look at the picture of the Old Testament. So Paul is saying all these good things were taken away because something better was given to us. There are a lot of times that God takes things away from us. He takes things away from us sometimes because he's going to give us something better. He's going to give it back to us. It's a test or a trial. Sometimes he gives us, he takes something away from us because he's got something better he's going to replace it with. Sometimes God takes things away because it's not good for us. And our lives are hindered because of it. So the Lord takes things away from us for cer- certain reasons. As I went through this struggle and, and I, I learned about God taking things away, there were some c- certain illustrations in the Bible that, that spoke to me. The first, the first illustration that spoke to me was that of Abraham. You know the story of Abraham. At 70 years of age, God promised him a son. Promised him the, 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 uh, uh, Isaac. And for 25 to 30 years, he prayed and asked for Isaac. And God kept saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And finally when it came, they named him Isaac. The word Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter. They laughed because God God answered the prayer. God fulfilled the promise. This was something that was good. God had given him his son. But one day, God came to, to Abraham and said, I want your son back. Give me your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham knew for 30 years that he would prayed for this young man, knew that the promises of God were on this man. This was a special son to him, and yet God was asking him to sacrifice him. It's very difficult, I believe, for Abraham to give that, give that son to, to God. The Bible says it was a three-day journey. And then the first day, I don't know if it went like this, but it went something like this. The first day he, he traveled, they came to make camp that night. They laid down on the dirt. And Isaac was laying there beside him. The servants were on the other side of him. And Abraham reached over and grabbed up a handful of sand. And he felt that sand going down through the cracks in his fingers and he looked at that sand and he said God you promised that my seed would be as the sand of the sea so many for a number that it could not be counted and you said in Isaac my seed would be multiplied and yet now you're asking me to give, me, give your, my son to you for him to be sacrificed to die how can that happen they got up the next morning. They traveled another day. They made camp that night. Once again, Abraham is laying there on his blanket, tossing and turning, thinking about what God is going to do the next day. He looks up into the skies, and he sees the stars in the skies. He says, God, you promised that my seed would be as the stars of the sky, that in Isaac my seed would be multiplied. How can Isaac die? How can you take Isaac from me? I don't understand, Lord. The third day, they traveled. They came to Mount Moriah. At the foot of the mountain, they set up camp. And that third night, Abraham was tossing and turning and thinking and thinking of the sand and thinking of the stars And again I don't know exactly how it happened but somewhere along the line he began to think about what God had promised him. That his seed would be the seed that would bless all the families of the earth. And that is where God preached the gospel to Abraham. And Abraham was thinking that one day God was going to send his son to die on a cross. And that on the third day he would raise again. And somewhere in that third night, somewhere on that trip, it finally dawned on Abraham. God's going to take Isaac, but he's not going to die. He can't die because he has to be the seed. God has to fulfill this promise. So the next morning he got up early. He looked at his servants and said to them, my son and I will go to sacrifice and we will return. He believed that he was going to go up to that mountain and Isaac was going to be sacrificed and Isaac was going to raise again from the dead. God would keep his promise. God would keep his word. And he went up to the, side, up the mountain. He tied Isaac's hands, pulled out the knife, and got ready to plunge his knife, that knife into his own son's heart. And God said, Stop. He said, Isaac is not going to die. I just wanted to see how much you loved me. I knew you loved your son. You loved him more than anything else. But do you love him? Do you love me more? And God spared Isaac and supplied s- a ram to substitute for his place in his place. And Isaac was a shadow of Christ to come. God said, Give me your son. I'm going to take your son away from you. And Abraham said, I don't understand this. But he was just faithful to obey God. Sometime in your life, God's going to take something away from you something that's good, something that's right. Nothing wrong with it. God's going to take it away from you because it's a test. He wants to see if you'll be faithful. He wants to see if you'll stick with it. He wants to see if you're the kind of Christian, and when things get hard and things get difficult, that you keep pushing on, keep plotting on, keep going forward for God, be faithful for Him. You need to come to the point where you understand that your sufficiency is in Christ. It's Jesus that you need. Whatever He's taking or taking away from you, Jesus will replace it. In 2 Corinthians chapter twelve, verse number nine, Paul writes and says, "And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities." that the power of Christ might rest upon me. God will take something away from you to see if you'll be faithful and trust him to give you sufficiency to keep moving on. He wants you to rely on him. He wants you to trust in him. He wants you to depend upon him in everything that you do, every step of your life. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping him in the center of your life. So often we get to the attitude that we've got it under control. I can handle this. I've got this all figured out. As I tell my people in my church, I got all my ducks in a row. And whenever I've got all my ducks in a row, God comes along and messes my ducks up. <laughs> because he wants, wants me to depend upon him and not depend upon my, my own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own strength, my own power. But to rely upon him so stay faithful when god takes something away from you just stay faithful trust in him and his sufficiency the next illustration that i think of when i think of somebody who who has had something taken away from him i think of the man named job again you know the story of job And I love the fact that God starts the story off saying that Job was a righteous man. He makes it very clear and very plain to us that all the things that happened to him did not happen because of his sin or something that he did wrong, but that he was doing what was right. He was living for the Lord. He was doing the best that he could. And yet God took away from him. In one day, God took all of his wealth. Took his health. Took everything that he had. His children all died. Can you imagine having a funeral with 10 caskets? The crushing blow that must have come on Job at that time. And then, of all things, his wife comes to him and says, why don't you curse God and die? Why don't you just give up? God has taken everything away from you, everything from you. He's taken your children He's taking your wealth. He's taking your health. He's taking everything from you. Why don't you curse God and die? His friends came to him. And for seven days they wept. And then at the end of the seven days, they turned on him and began to accuse him. They said, surely something's wrong in your life. God would not do this to you unless something was wrong in your life, unless there was some sin in your life. Unless there was something that was going on in your life that, that God is punishing you for. I love what Job said. Job says, I will not lose my integrity. I'll not give up my integrity. But a greater statement than that is when Job looks at his friends and looks at his wife and says, the Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed. Blessed. Be the name of the Lord. It's easy to bless God when he's giving. It's easy to be thankful and grateful when God is giving. When everything is going fine. What's hard is to say, God giveth, God taketh away. And God's name is still blessed. Blessed. When God takes away, we need to still glorify him. We need to give him the glory and the praise. We need to worship him, even when he takes away. Psalms 34, verse number one, the Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times, all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. When God gives and when God takes away, we need to praise the Lord. We need to understand that everything that we do, we must do it for his glory and for his honor. Again, in our lives, we, we get to the point where we want everybody to look at us. Everybody to respect us. we get the attitude that oh, I deserve this all the good things that happened in my life I deserve this because I've earned it folks we didn't earn anything we don't deserve anything but hell anything better than hell is a blessing and we need to glorify God it's all for God's glory God takes away that we might worship him more we might worship him more our pride needs to be taken away so let's bless him when he takes away he deserves our best in every circumstance in every situation he deserves our best when it feels like he's taking away he's testing you to see if you'll glorify him so worship the lord more when he takes away i will bless him Continually. The third man that I thought of was the man named Joshua. Joshua was the man that followed Moses. God gave him the task of conquering the promised land. Forty years earlier, they had gone into the promised land, and the majority of the spies that had seen the land said, we can't take it, there's giants in the land, there's fortified cities, We can't take the land. But Joshua and Caleb said we can do it because God said so. Forty years they waited. And finally God led them into the promised land. God gave them great victories. They crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Just like the Red Sea, just like the parting of the Red Sea, that great miracle that took place with Moses. They crossed the Jordan River. Can you imagine crossing the river on dry ground, God holding the water back. What a great day that was. As they stood there, they they piled the stones up as a memorial to what God had done. Then they faced the city of Jericho. And God gave them the battle plan. They marched around that city for seven days, seven times on the seventh day. And the walls came down, not because of battering rams, not because of bombs, not because of bullets, but because God knocked the walls down and destroyed that city. What a great victory. Joshua was walking on higher ground. Joshua was walking on victory ground. Joshua was, everything was going Joshua's way. Things were wonderful. Then they faced the city of Ai. Ai was a little town. Just a few few people lived there. So Joshua said, let's not send all of the people there. Let's just send 3,000 there. And we'll take, take that city. They went into battle, and they lost. The victory was taken away. The joy was taken away. Joshua fell down on his face said, God, why did you bring us here? we were surrounded. We could have stayed in the wilderness. We could have stayed on the other side of the, of the Jordan River. Why did you bring us here to, to defeat us? And God said, get up off your face, Joshua. There's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. Achan had taken of the a cursed thing and Joshua you need to deal with the sin in your life you need to deal with the sin that's that's taking place in the camp in order to get your victory back and Joshua took it and faced the Achan that day and got his victory back but Joshua went through all that God took his victory away from him Because there was something that was hindering his life. God wants to take away the carnal nature. So often we live in the flesh. We live according to our own flesh. We have a sinful nature. In John chapter 15, verse number 1, the Bible says, I am the true vine. My father is the husband, and every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Sometimes God takes away because he's purging your life. Until we're Christ-like, God's going to still continue to take things away from us. Until we get to heaven, there's things in our life that God needs to remove. He needs to purge so that we can bear more fruit. And so God takes away to give us, to change us into the image of Christ. He wants to transform us and make, a, make us more like Christ. The evil must be taken away. So what am I saying? When God takes away, abide in Christ. Christ. When God is disciplining your life, when God is correcting your life, it's not time to quit. It's not time to give up. It's not time to go back. It's time to abide. It's time to stick with the Lord Jesus Christ. abiding in Christ. So God takes away. He takes away in our lives for certain reasons. These are not all of the reasons, but these are some. He wants you to rely on him. He wants you to trust him more. He wants you to not trust in whatever it is that he's taking away from you, but to trust in him. He wants you to bless him. He wants you to worship him and honor him, even when he's taken away. And he wants you to abide in him. He wants you to stay with the Lord Jesus Christ.